like for you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, and we're only going to read verse 19 at this particular time, but we will uh, look at several other passages of scriptures throughout the message today. You know, when a, a baby is born in a home, that is a very special Special time. Can you imagine what it must have been like when Jesus was born in the home of Mary and Joseph? Can you imagine what all began to transpire in their life as when Jesus was born? I'm reminded of the scriptures in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. The Bible tells us that, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Now, I want you to notice a particular phrase in that particular passage of Scripture. The firstborn Son. A lot of times that when we think of Jesus, we don't think of him being a part of a family of brothers and sisters. And yet the Bible gives us implications in that passage of Scripture that he was the firstborn son. See, Jesus' birth was not only a miracle that he was virgin born, but my friend, I want you to notice that it was a momentous birth as well. Luke chapter 1 verse 30 begins to remind us of that particular event. And the Bible says, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, we think about that and we look at those passages of scriptures, especially around Christmas time, when we think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to think about not only his birth this morning, But I want you to think about his brothers and sisters. A lot of times we don't think about him having brothers and sisters. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, lists at least four brothers. Yeah, there in that passage of scripture, it says there was a James, a Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And then the Bible goes on a step further 
in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, and he says that he even had sisters. How many times do we think about Jesus having a sister? The Bible don't give us a whole lot of detail uh, concerning about the brothers and sisters of Jesus. In fact, it doesn't give us a whole lot of detail about his younger years as they're in the home of Mary and Joseph. But today, I want us to think about one of the brothers of Jesus. And I I must clarify this, that he was his half-brother. See, James, the one that we're going to talk about, and these others that was the brothers and the sisters of uh, Jesus were the half-brother of Jesus because Joseph was their father. Now, of course, you and I know that Joseph was not the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the heavenly father that was his father. And so they were half-brothers and sisters But I want us to talk about today, as we've been looking at different Bible characters, about James, the brother of Jesus. And I think you're going to be amazed of how we, you and I can identify with someone like James. So there in your Bibles, Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. Let's stand and let's read this verse of Scripture as I read it out loud. Paul was speaking, and he said, But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. James, the Lord's brother. He clarifies and he identifies James in two different ways. And we're going to look at that today. Father, in Jesus' name, as we come together and open up the Word of God, we just pray that the Spirit of God might take the Word and pierce our hearts. And Lord, teach us and mold us and instruct us in a manner that would bring glory to you. Father, we're helpless without the power and the anointing of God. We're so dependent upon you. And we can never say anything that would have any eternal value unless the Holy Spirit says it to us and through us. So fill us now as we preach and listen to the word of the living God. And may there be an ushering of saints and sinners before the throne and for the glory of God. And Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You May be seated. James, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. We go back and we began to do some study about James and we'll find that James was a a very important person in the early church of Jerusalem. In fact, he was a leader. In fact, he was a pastor at one time. The Bible 
begins to talk about his very important decisions that he made in life and how it changed his life and literally brought him to a point of literally giving his life for the purpose of the gospel. Tradition tells us that James was martyred in 66 A.D. for and because of the reason of preaching the gospel, for being identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Josephus, the great historian, tells us that he was stoned to death because of his commitment to the cause of Christ. That he was willing to give his life and to be placed upon the altar of martyrdom and for the purpose, for the glory of God. So, this morning, let's take a strong look at James, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's three things that I want you to notice about him. And first of all, I want you to notice James, the antagonist. James, the antagonist. Now, can you imagine growing up in the home of the Lord Jesus Christ? (laughs) Can you imagine Jesus being your older brother? I can just hear Mary and Joseph say, why can't you be like Jesus? But can you imagine sitting at the table with God himself in the flesh? Can you imagine that there you go to bed at night and sleeping in the same room with God himself? I mean, you stop and think about it. That had to be a quite of an experience that James and his brothers and sisters had with the Lord Jesus Christ. Max Licato, in one of his books, in, he has a chapter in one of those books, 25 questions that I would like to ask Mary about Jesus. Let me just listen, just lift a few of them before you. One of the questions he said that he would like to ask Mary says, what was it like watching him pray? Can you imagine watching the Lord Jesus Christ pray and knowing that he is God himself? And then he goes on, he says another question, how did he respond when he saw other boys and girls giggling during the services in the synagogue? <laughs> and then there was another question he, he raised, and he says, when he saw a rainbow, did he ever mention a flood? Another question he raised, he said, did you ever feel awkward teaching him how he created the world? <laughs> Another question, he said that when he saw a lamb being led to slaughter, did he act differently? Good question. How did he act at funerals? Did you ever accidentally call him father? 
And then one of the questions I thought was interesting. He said, what did he and his cousin John talk about as kids? My, my, my. These are some good questions I thought that he raised. That uh, we, we sometimes don't think about Jesus growing up in a home and that he was a, a, a nine-year-old, a ten-year-old, eleven-year-old, a twelve-year-old, and realizing that he was God himself. Oh, my. But I think it's interesting when you go to John chapter 7 and you find that it's not the most encouraging relationship that he and his brothers had. In fact, James and his brothers were, uh, they were what you might consider was against him. And so, James, the, the, the antagonistic person that he was, you'll notice that in James, I mean, in John chapter 7, verse 2, there in that particular setting, that they were celebrating the feast of the Passover. And as they were celebrating in observance the feast of the tabernacle, excuse me, that they were making a request unto the Lord Jesus. Listen to what the Bible says in John chapter 7, verse 2. It says, now the Jews' feast of the tabernacle was at hand. In other words, they would come for seven days, Jews from everywhere, and there they would find themselves staying in tents, and they were remembering the 40 years of their ancestors as they were there in the wilderness. Right there in the midst of that setting and celebration, we find a scene where Jesus was with his brothers. And his brothers were literally were making a request of Jesus. And listen to what he says in John chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Listen to this request. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that you, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known open, openly, And if you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, what in the world were they doing? In other words, what they were saying, we want you to go not in an obscure place like Galilee. We want you to go into a place like Judea. We have seen you uh, perform certain miracles. And go into a place like Judea. And there you can perform miracles and bring great attention to you. Now, they didn't believe he was the Messiah at this time. And they were not doing it because of trying to get more people to believe that he was the Messiah. But really, possibly 
they had their own desires of thinking that they might be able to be rewarded by him becoming more and more popular there at Judea. And so they make a request. And so, I I like what Warren Wiersbe said about this request. He says, these men certainly had the world's point of view that if you want to get a following, use your opportunities to do something spectacular. Their request was not motivated by belief that he was the Messiah, but rather to take action to his advantage. Had a popular brother. And they wanted to help his popularity to be increased. Encouraging Jesus to take action and would make him more and more popular. They were antagonistic toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see that request. But... As you continue looking at James in his early years, you'll notice the rejection of James and his brothers in John chapter 7, verse 5. For the Bible says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. Instead of believing that he was the Messiah, they were antagonistic toward him. They did not believe him, the Bible said. Warren Wiersbe writes this. Listen to this. It says, It seems that his brothers could have lived with him all those years and not realize the uniqueness of his person. Certainly they knew about his miracles since everybody else did. Having been in the closest contact with him, they had the best opportunity to watch him And to test him. Yet they were still unbelievers. Here were men going up to a religious feast, he says, yet rejecting their Messiah. How easy it is to follow tradition at his uh, tradition and miss eternal truth. The publicans and sinners were rejoicing at his message, but his own half-brothers were making fun of him. Now think about this for a moment. There was a time in James's life that he was antagonistic toward the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? Before you and I were saved, we were all antagonistic toward the Lord. We could have cared less about God, Jesus, heaven, or hell. It was only that time when the Holy Spirit of God that came and began to convict our heart and make us aware that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And by making Him aware and making us aware of our lostness of, and our sins, Only then and then only we began to become interested in this one called the Lord Jesus Christ. So James was no different than you and I. And yet, as the Bible reminds us, that as 
James was not seeking the light. He literally was looking for darkness that he could love. Just like any sinner. Just like any lost person. So James, first of all, we see him as an unbeliever. And we see him as reject, rejecting his own brother as the Messiah. But I'm so glad that James didn't stay in that way. I am so glad that there came a time in James's life that he got saved and literally transformed and changed his life. So the second thing I want you to see, not only James, the antagonist, but I want you to notice James, the apostle. The apostle. That verse of scripture that we read earlier in Galatians chapter 1 verse 19. It says, but I saw as Paul was speaking as he was returning to Jerusalem after he'd been gone for three years. He says, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord, Lord's brother. Now, did you notice how very carefully that Paul identified James? He identified him. He's he's the Lord's brother. But second of all, he identified him as an apostle. What's an apostle? An apostle is a man that has been commissioned by God himself to carry out the gospel throughout the world. Here was a guy that all of a sudden his life has changed to a point that he was no longer rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, but he has surrendered to him and now he is serving him. How did this happen? What took place? How did James come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior? Not only as his brother, but as his Savior. Well, the Bible reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul speaks about those that saw Christ after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And James was one of them. And so therefore, you see that... Because of the resurrected Christ, it changed his life. I can almost imagine when Jesus was crucified, James was standing off at a distance. He had seen all that Christ had experienced, the beating, the bruising, the bleeding. He had seen him cry out to God himself, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? He had heard those seven sayings. And then when he bowed his head and said, It is finished. James had witnessed that. But then the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, listen to this. In verses 5 and following, Paul writes, And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, 
And after that, he was seen by other over 500 brethren at once, of whom greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. <laughs> you know what changed his life? It was the resurrection of Christ. When he saw Christ, after he had been resurrected from the grave, James said, ha, I've been wrong all these years where I have rejected him and denied him as being Savior. It's quite obvious that he is God. And he changed his life. My friend, that's the power of the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the power that changes a man from darkness into light. Changes a man that was dead in his trespasses of sin. And he becomes alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. That when he saw Jesus that had risen from the grave, he was changed. Praise the Lord. D.L. Moody once said that he was in a meeting. And in this meeting, there, there was a guy that stood up and he said, you know, there's three things I've learned in the 42 years of my living. D.L. Moody said he scooted up close to him because he wanted to learn what was those three things. He says, number one, I learned that I can do nothing to earn my salvation. Number two, that God never required me to do anything for my salvation. Number three, the Lord has done it all. My friend, that's exactly right. What can you do to earn your salvation? Not one thing. My friend, you place your faith in the Christ of the Lord Jesus Christ, that who was who had died upon a cross, buried in a grave, and arose again. My friend, when you place your faith in Him, Christ, through the power of the blood as we sung today, washes you and cleanses you and changes you and makes you a new creature. That was a good place for an amen. amen. Oh, but it goes and gets better. James not only experienced the resurrected Christ, but he also experienced the ruling of Christ in his heart. James saw his brother as the resurrected Christ, as being come the Son of God. And then he placed himself under submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, James realized that when you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, thy shall be saved. See, he not only received Jesus as his Savior, he received Jesus as the Lord of his life. His big brother half-brother, he placed himself under subjection. 
evidence that James saw Jesus as the ruling Christ is seen through the dedication of his service. Throughout the scriptures, you began to find James began to serve the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his mind and with all of his soul. James was a person that became very instrumental in that first church, the church of Jerusalem. Galatians chapter 2 verse 9. It says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, evidence that he was one of three of the pillars of the church of Jerusalem. You go back and you began to find that he was become one of the strong leaders of that church. I like what John MacArthur said about that. Listen to this. He says, because the apostles were frequently away preaching the gospel, James eventually became the preeminent leader of the Jerusalem church. Listen to this. To borrow a contemporary term, he was what was known as the senior pastor. James was the senior pastor of the church of Jerusalem. My, my. Do you see him? One that was antagonistic to the Lord Jesus Christ before he was saved, but he gets saved. He surrenders his life to the Lord, and now he is serving the Lord Jesus there in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 12, verse 17. We'll find that James was one of the ones that greeted Peter that was delivered from prison. There in the scriptures in Acts chapter 2, verses 18 and following, is when Paul visited Jerusalem, that James was there greeting him and giving him a love offering from the Gentiles. There you find over and over James being the quiet servant that he was. James as well reminds us that in, the, in Acts chapter 15, that he was presiding over a pivotal Jerusalem council. Very important. Because in that council, they were debating were you're saved by the Mosaic law or by grace. And James was one of the leading ones that spoke up. It was by grace and grace alone. Do you see how the Lord began to use his brother James? How exciting that when you place yourself under the subjection of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, of how he'll use you. I don't know of a child of God that is right with the Lord that doesn't want to be used. Used for his glory. Well, that's exactly what happened. It's obvious that the reason that James became the apostle that he was was simply because he placed himself under the authority and the rule of the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Have you done that? Have you placed yourself under his authority? And you taking your hands off of your finances, off of your family, off of your future, and say, Lord, it's not mine, but it's yours. And I give it to you. And when you do, God opens up the windows of heaven and blesses and uses you in a manner that you could ever imagine. But I want you to see the third thing about it. Not only James, the antagonistic. James, the apostle. But I want you to think with me for a few moments. James, the author. The author. New Testament book. There is a book that is titled the book of James. The epistles of James. And I like the way James chapter 1 identifies himself as the author. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to that very carefully because I'm going to go back to that in just a moment. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we know there's different Jameses in the Bible. The Bible talks about there in the New Testament, there was James, the son of Zebedee. There was James, the son of Alphaeus. James, the father of Judas, the disciple. And then, of course, there was James, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God in the unique way that God himself would work. Impressed upon and dictated to James, that epistle. James begins to share with us today some of the most precious words throughout Scripture. There in that book. Now why? Number one, because he was a holy man. The Bible tells us in Second Peter chapter 1 verse 21, For the prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Holy Men of God. My friend, I want you to understand, God did not allow just anybody to write this Bible. But he took holy men. James was a man of God. He was a holy man. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. It says, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be, listen to this, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You know what, James What happened to James? He became an instrument of God. 
by committing himself to the holiness of God. James was reminded, as the Bible talks about in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7, Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. John, James said, I want to be used of God. So I want to concentrate myself, consecrate myself to the holiness of God. You remember Peter echoing the same words there in First Peter chapter 15 and 16? where he says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Don't hear a whole lot today about holiness from the pulpit. But my friend, I want you to understand, God requires holiness as much today as he did in the days of James. The reason that God used James the way that he did, he submitted himself to the holiness of God. And he was a holy man. God's not going to take a man with unclean hands, unclean heart, unclean mind to write the scriptures. But he took a vessel that had been washed and cleansed by the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a second characteristic about James that impresses me. Not only was he a holy man, he was a humble man. I want you to notice something. That when you read James chapter 1, does he identify himself as the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ? He doesn't say one word about it. He says, I'm a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't even mention that he was the brother of Jesus. Why, if it would be some preachers and some evangelists I know, my friend, he would be having billboard, billboards on the side of the street saying, Come and listen to the brother of Jesus. Of what it's like to live in that household. It's amazing to me. He never mentions anything about being the brother of Jesus. He didn't see himself as the brother of Jesus. He saw himself as a bond servant. John Blanchard said this in his commentary on James. He says, the mark of a great man of God is not that he thinks himself being great, but rather that he thinks himself utterly insignificant. It's amazing to me how people try to build their own self up. Preachers are the world's worst. Of when they write a resume, they'll write it, and man, you'd think that they were one of the apostles themselves. How they try to build themselves up. I'm reminded of a story. Back in 2001, there was a guy by the name of George O'Leary. He had just been hired 
to become the coach at Notre Dame. And they had put out his resume to the public. And his resume said something like this, that he had gotten his master's degree from University of New York. And he had lettered three years playing football at the University of New Hampshire. Five days after he was hired, he was fired. Come to find out, he never graduated from the University of New York. He only attended there. Come to find out, he never played, much less lettered, in the sport of football at the University of New Hampshire. He just built and plagiarized his resume to the point of something that he wasn't. We've got a lot of people today that's going around thinking that they're more important than they really are. What so impressed me about James, not only was he a holy man, he was a humble man. I believe one of the greatest tools that God will use will be the characteristics of a man that is, number one, is holy, and number two, he's humble. Brother Gerald mentioned a few moments ago one of the scriptures that he read that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Everything that you are and everything that you possess is a gift of God. And my friend... We have nothing to boast about except the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the rewarder. He is our sustainer. He is the one that we salute and give homage to. How about you today? Maybe you're antagonistic toward the gospel. You just hear out of tradition, you're here just because your wife drug you here or you're here because just because your family thinks that you need to come, but you really don't want to be here. You could care less about the Lord Jesus Christ. But all of a sudden, you're starting to feel a tug in your heart. All of a sudden, it began to feel a spark in your mind. You know, maybe there is something about this Jesus. And just like James, you began to witness the power of the Son of God and the resurrection of the Messiah and how that can change your life. Can you see James moving from one that it was antagonism antagonistic toward the Lord to the point that he was an apostle. You want to be used of God? Become a holy man, a holy woman. Become a humble person. Lord Jesus, thank you for James. What a great, great man that he was. Thank you for allowing him to write the scriptures 
that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for allowing him to become the great pastor that he was there in Jerusalem. Thank you for reminding us that God can take a simple man and make a special person out of him. May the Holy Spirit of God speak during this time in this moment of decision. May you bless us today. And Lord, we pray that you will be honored with all the decisions that are made. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.